mentioned, we're starting a new series called In Breaking, the, Con the Kingdom Come at Christmas. So let me talk to you a little bit about what Advent is. A Advent simply is uh, best known as the arrival, uh, an appearance, uh, the emergence of a, a notable person, thing, or event. Notable person, thing, or event. As you understand Christmas, we begin to have a contextual understanding now of why we call this season Advent because this is the season of the emergence of the hope of the world. This is the season of the emergence of the light of the world. This is the season of the emergence and the coming of the Savior and King of the world. Inbreaking simply means an opening, a, a coming, an inroad. A little bit of powerful language, an invasion. And in many ways, Jesus is an inbreaking. Jesus is an inroad. Jesus is an invasion of love into the world. And so over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about orienting ourselves to an awareness of his presence. When we talk about Jesus, we regularly talk about Jesus as one who has come and one who is coming again. You see, the first advent of Jesus occurs at the birth of Jesus in a little town known as Bethlehem. An awakening of light and life for all the world to experience. So Advent is looking back at what had ha has happened as well as looking forward to an event that is yet to happen. So we talk about Jesus come and coming. Jesus born in a manger, babe, savior of the world, is expected and anticipated to return as the one who is king of the world, the one in whom all of our hope is placed and in whom all of our hope will be restored. And so today, we celebrate the coming of Jesus and the anticipated coming of Jesus. John says it so well in verse 14. He says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's such a powerful passage for us. It's so meaningful to us because we believe the course of Jesus' life is the course on which our lives are set as well. We believe that we're called to be those who are incarnating or living out the gospel in our everyday, ordinary lives. At the birth of Jesus, an awakening of love occurred and hope fills the human hearts in an incredible way. Today, I want to introduce you to the gospel story of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 1. 
I want to talk to you about the power of hope. The power of hope. The power of hope is told through the lives of the people I want to introduce you to today. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so if we look at the passage of Scripture that's going to come up, the power of hope is discovered in these two and their lives. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, if we pause there for just a second. Here's what we understand in the definition or the introduction of who these people are. Uh, these people are godly people. They're people who are kingdom-oriented people. There are people who are familiar with life in the kingdom as followers of God, as true Israelites, because they're part of the priesthood. They're part of the priestly family. Zechariah himself is a priest. Elizabeth herself grew up in the family of the Aaronic priesthood. So, so they're very familiar. They're totally down with church. They got it. They understand it. And so, so as we introduce to them, it says that these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the descendants of good folks, priestly folks, it says both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Donna gets on to me for saying, I'm old. She says, don't say that. But let me just say to you, I'm assuming that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old, and I would just say, in relation to me, they were older than I am. But what had happened was, in the course of their serving God, in their faithfulness, there was an emptiness in them. The emptiness described here is simply the lack of a child, the lack of of an heir. And so in their faithfulness, they were serving, but in their hearts, they were empty. And the introduction simply introduces us to the notion that they needed an infusion of hope that was not present at that time. Anybody need an infusion of hope? You know, when we talk about Christmas, we talk about the hustle and the bustle, and I think the new launch date for all Christmas things is <clears throat> thank, uh, not Thanksgiving, but Halloween. You know, I, I think the first Christmas stuff I saw in any of the major stores occurred on, uh, you know, November the 1st or October 31st. I'm not quite sure. But, but, but there's an invasion into our lives, and in the invasion into our lives of the of the, the commercialization of Christmas often leaves us empty and hopeless and despairing. But in addition to that, there are lots of things that leave us empty and hopeless and despairing. Some of you have known the pain and some of you know the pain that Zechariah and Elizabeth are experiencing that brings about their hopelessness. The desire to have a child 
with no child yet to hold in your hands, in your arms. And for that, I can't imagine the grief and the heartache that that brings, the despair that that brings. Some of you experience hopelessness in loss, the loss of a loved one through death, the loss of a dream, a promotion or a job or a place or something other. What I want to say to you is every one of us is familiar with loss and every one of us is in need of a word of hope. And so the power of hope as experienced by Zechariah and Elizabeth informs us to how we also can experience the power of hope. So let's begin. If you want to grab your listening sheet, the first fill in the blank there is simply this. The reminder to us all is that with regard to the power of hope, we're never far from hope. We're never far from hope. No matter how distant hope seems to be from us, no matter how long we've been waiting, no matter how, how empty and barren our life has been or how many broken promises have occurred, we're, we're never far from hope. As we unpack the story, the beautiful thing about the hope that Zechariah and Elizabeth experience is simply this, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going about their everyday, ordinary lives when they have an encounter with the living God through the angel Gabriel. Say, so, well, if you keep reading the story, here, here's the deal. Zechariah is a priest. He goes to his regular priestly duties. When he arrives for his regular priestly duties, he, uh, they, they, do a, they, do a, they draw the straws, basically. They, they draw straws. And his straw was drawn to be the one who enters the very holiest of holies in the presence of God at a very important time. And so it was his turn. He'd, he'd been to serve on many occasions. Uh, Daryl Bach, one of the uh, best scholars on Luke that I know, says that this is probably the first and only time Zechariah ever had priestly duties in the Holy of Holies at this special time. First and only. He'd been up for opportunity, but he'd never had the chance to visit the holies of holies, to perform his duties, although he'd faithfully and regularly appeared for the performance of those duties. He was serving in his everyday, ordinary life when an unknown opportunity came to experience God. And I think there's something to that because when I say that we're never far from hope, it reminds me that the inbreaking God, the inbreaking word of God is all that's necessary to instill our hearts with hope. And so let's look at the scripture. Zechariah goes in, he's doing his service, and he says to Zechariah, he begins to tell to him, you're going to have a son. I know you've been barren. You and your wife have been barren. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And he's, he gives all kinds of instructions about how John is supposed to live and how they're supposed to raise him. And it says, and he, verse 17, and he will go on in the Lord, before the Lord, in the power of the spirit of Elijah, to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the descendants of the disobedient to wisdom 
wisdom, of righteousness, to make ready a people for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the obvious question, how in the world can this be because my wife and I are, uh, are along in years? My wife and I are beyond, beyond believing that a child is available to us. Are you beyond believing that something's available to you? What you need is the power of hope made known to you in the promise of God. The power of hope made known to you in the promise of God. And I love it because Zachariah serving in his everyday ordinary life is invited into the presence of God to do his duty and when he shows up, God overwhelms him with an unbelievable word of hope and that word of hope wasn't just for Zechariah. That word of hope is for you. That word of hope is for me. And as you go about your everyday, ordinary life, wherever it is that you're facing discouragement and despair, there's always, always, always the chance that God is going to break in with the very word of hope that you need for that moment, but the word of hope that you need to sustain you, not for just that day, but into your future. I love it because Zechariah is so overwhelmed and he's so <laughs> filled with doubt that the angel Gabriel says to him, all right, here's the deal. This is going to come to be, and it's going to come to pass, but from now until this child is born, you're not going to be able to speak. If you've ever thought that you've doubted, I don't think you've doubted like Zachariah. Anybody been silent, couldn't speak for nine months? No, probably not. But, but you know, this, this whole thing is, this whole thing is, the word didn't come because he believed. The word came in the midst of his unbelief. The word came in the midst of his disbelief. The word came in the midst of his absolutely overwhelming fear that there's no way this can happen. And I want to say to you, no matter where you are, the powerful word of God's hope can come to you, and it's not dependent on your faith. It's dependent on your availability. It's dependent on your availability. The power of hope is never too far away from us. Now, I love, I, you know, there's this incredible encounter as the story is told to Zechariah, but then I just love the everyday, ordinary no, notion of the way that Elizabeth, that, the way that Elizabeth gets the message. So Zechariah has this incredible experience. He's in the Holy of Holies for so long that people get nervous because of the, the understanding of being in the Holy of Holies was this. You don't stay very long because it's so holy. Right, right? Get in, get out, do your stuff, go. Because the holiness of God is such that you don't want to be there too long. He lingered long enough that people outside were saying, I wonder what happened. They were listening for the bells. Tinkle, tinkle. See, when they went to the Holy Holies, they tied bells on them, right? So that they could hear that they were still moving and alive. And if they heard a great crash, there was actually a rope tied on their way so that they could pull them out because nobody else could go in. Right? So, so they're listening. And I'm guessing that Zachariah stood still for a really long time. The bell stopped jingling. And they were anticipating 
what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. It says that the crowd outside was anticipating what's happening. And it says the people were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And it says when he came out, he could not speak. And it says they realized that, they'd seen the that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but was unable to speak. Talk about, talk about playing uh, gestures. What, what's it, pantomime? What's the name of that game? There's charades. There you go. I, there's this other game that you play that you have cards, but charades is the old game. Yeah, so, so he, he's, he's doing a good job of charades. But then verse 23 says this. It just goes back to the ordinary. And when it came time for his service to be completed, he returned home. I love it. Just matter-of-factly, verse 24, it says this, And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Matter-of-factly, after he returned home, she became pregnant and remained in seclusion for five weeks, five months. Daryl Bach again says there's been lots of speculation as to why she remained in seclusion, and the answer is we don't know why she remained in seclusion. Let me suggest you, to you what I think. I think she was just as overwhelmed as Zechariah. Remember, they were uh, long in years. The thing that their hearts had longed for that had not been a possibility was becoming a reality. A child was growing within her and she was overwhelmed with the fulfillment of the Word of God in her body. What about you? A word of hope is never that far away. Let me take you back. See, this wasn't the first time that Zechariah and Elizabeth had a word of hope. And I'm speculating, but just a little bit. I'm speculating that this is not the first word of hope they had, but it was a necessary of hope, word of hope that they needed. And I'm only speculating this because the definition of who they were is this, faithful, righteous, holy people who followed the commands of the Lord. Can I just tell you, nobody is faithful, righteous, and holy without following the commands of the Lord with a word of hope that keeps them following. See, 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 a word of hope that keeps us following. They'd had a word that sustained them, but they needed a new word. Have you had a word that sustained you, but you need a new word? The word of hope is not far from you. It's the closeness of the mention of the name of God to meet us in our brokenness. You say, I don't expect the angel Gabriel to show up. Well, that's not the only way words of God that are filled with hope show up. Can I suggest to you that words of God that are filled with hope show up through messengers that are angelic, but words of God that are filled with hope show up through messengers that look like you and me. And perhaps in this season of hope, in your need for a word, you're also the messenger of hope to give someone the word of God that they need to sustain themselves in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. And that simply is, there's one who's coming. His name is Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the King of the world. The inbreaking power of the presence of God is available to you right here, right now, to meet you in your need.
we're never too far from hope. Interestingly, previous words build in us an expectation for future words. An expectation is the soil that feeds the roots of hope. God, you've done it before, and I know you'll do it again. Let's, let's move on. Hope, we're never that far from hope. And, and, and what happens is when we experience hope, hope fuels persistence and trust. And I've already sort of mingled, co-mingled these two ideas together already. But let me just say this. As Luke introduces this to John's parents, he introduces them as being pious and law-abiding saints, faithful followers of God. You see, from the very beginning, God's movement occurs in people who are available, ready, and willing to receive. In their disappointment, they didn't stop believing. They were just people whose hearts were broken. In your disappointment, you don't stop believing. Your heart's just broken. You don't stop following. Your heart's just broken. You don't stop following. Your hope bucket is empty. You continue to persist in following. You continue to trust in following. And the, the, the following is filled with a previous hope. And so this is the season where we're never far from hope, but this is the season where hope fuels our lives in persistence and trust. Persistence and trust. I remember as a, as a kid, some of the things that we did in my family that fueled, fueled my hope. I didn't grow up in a liturgical church. I grew up in a church that felt really comfortable flying by the seat of your pants, um, they described it as following the Spirit. But it was more like flying by the seat of your pants pretty regularly, you know. Uh, not to say that the Spirit didn't uh, speak to us, and not to say that the Spirit didn't lead us, but, uh, but uh, uh, sometimes they believe, I, think, I think they thought that planning was a bad thing, uh, that the Spirit couldn't sp speak if you, if you planned anything. Uh, so, so I grew up with a flying by the seat of your pants, but there were some things, there were some things that I could count on there were some things that I could count on in terms of developing trust and hope, persistence and hope. And the things that I could count on that I, at, at Christmas time, there were two things that, that I knew it was Christmas time. There were two things that happened in the church. Uh, my mom and dad didn't uh, decorate like, for Christmas like my family does early. They decorated later. Like, so, you know, our Christmas tree is up, the lights are on every evening. We turn the lights off in the house so that the Christmas tree lights can be on. And Christmas music is playing regularly because Donna loves Christmas music and she loves the lights of the tree. And uh, so, so our house is already decorated. It's ready to go. And I'm reminded of Christmas because of the lights and the music. That's not the family I grew up in. I, 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 was, reminded, I was reminded that Christmas was on its way when I could smell peanut, brutal, peanut butter or peanut what am I trying to say? Peanut brittle. I've eaten too much peanut butter, and I have not had enough peanut brittle. I, when peanut brittle was, was cooking, I knew Christmas was on the way. Because every Christmas, 
the church that I attended baked, made peanut brittle to raise money for missions. And I knew that all was well with the world and I could persist and trust that all was well with the world when the air was filled with the aroma of peanut brittle. I also was very familiar with uh, having numerous boxes of ruby red grapefruits from the Rio Grande Valley as well as tasty oranges from Texas as well as nuts and candy by the box load filling the house in which I live for one reason and one reason only because everybody who came to my dad and mom's church to the church I grew up in got a Christmas stocking filled with fruit, candy, and nuts as a gift. Somebody say, man, why don't you do that? Well, we just, hadn't, we just never have. Maybe that would be something good to start. But I'm, I'm always reminded. So persistence and trust is fueled by the experiences that orient us to things that are all as well with the world. And when we have a word from God, our lives are oriented around that all is well. The promise of God fuels persistence. The promise of God fuels greater trust. And then what we discover is that the promise of God has an end game and the promise of God has a reward. Hope has a reward. And I, I, I love this. There's, there's two verses that I want to show you here. And, and before the reward has arrived, in verse 25 of Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth says this in her pregnancy. She says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. It's her first exclamation that her broken heart was healed. Her first exclamation that her broken heart was healed. The reward of hope is the fulfilled promise of God that heals our brokenness. The reward of hope is the, the fulfilled promise of God that heals our brokenness. If you would, think back with me for just a little bit. In the course of your life, where is it that the promise of God has been fully revealed in the deliverance of the promise? And if you can for a moment, remember what it felt like to receive the promise that God had given. Hope has a reward. And then anecdotally, this thought came to me, verse 25 is, is, is the first sign that Elizabeth is willing to say, the hope of God has filled my heart in such a way that the promise has been received. But then I love it as the story continues in the latter part of chapter 1, verse 41. What happens is, Zechariah and Elizabeth get their word, and as you continue to read through the first chapter of Luke, then Mary gets her word, her word that a baby is to be born who will be known as the Savior of the world. 
And she's informed that even her relative, Elizabeth, is carrying a child as an affirmation of the promise that is made to her. And somehow or another, she puts those two together and she says, I think I need to go visit Elizabeth. And this is the encounter of Elizabeth that you're familiar with. And uh, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, um, there's this wonderful encounter. And verse 41 simply says this, Mary comes... And when Mary comes, verse 41 says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. I love that anecdotally. It seems to me, it seems to me that hope's reward is an awakening of the love of God in a powerful way within us. Not just the promise. Not just the promise has been fulfilled, but there's an experiential awakening of the love of God by the power of the Spirit within us. You see, blessing emerges through God's fulfilled promises. And the fulfillment of God's promise here is twofold. One, the baby, John, in her bosom, in her, in her womb, is is filled with the Spirit, and Elizabeth herself is filled with the Spirit, the energizing experiential power of the presence of God is the reward of hope fulfilled. And what Theophilus and his readers, like us, like him, are always aware of is that we can rejoice because we are assured that God always keeps his promise. God always keeps his promise. Trust, persistence, joy are vital aspects of the successful walk with God, all of which need a regular word of hope from the Father.